Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. So have you guys had enough yet? This tough revelation? <laughs> Good, because we're only halfway through. <laughs> Series hasn't been too much. We are at the halfway point officially. We had three before this, the letters to Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamum. And we'll have three after this today. So we are at the halfway point. I'm glad you're ready for more. Because today is no less intense than last week. I'm going to be honest with you. And I still feel like I, I'm receiving words from the Holy Spirit on this one. I Even during worship, I changed the title to this message. <laughs> the last second. Because I feel like God finally gave me that last piece. It felt like it was missing something that he had for us until worship. So I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit speaks through me during this message because I have a feeling he's going to mess up all my notes as well, which is a great thing, but for this type A preacher, makes me a little nervous. But today's letter is from Jesus to the church of Thyatira. Everybody say Thyatira. Thyatira. It's fun to say, but it is a, it's a smaller city than that of Pergamum. Uh, it's to the east, and it's only mentioned in one other time in the Bible, in the book of Acts. There was a Lydia from this city who was like a wealthy businesswoman. Um, and Thyatira is a, a little bit different than the other cities that we've talked about so far in that it's not as luxurious as Smyrna, or it's not, it's not a capital city like that of Pergamum, like a religious and political center. This is like a working man city. They had lots of trade going on in this city, like but blue-collar trade, like um, bronze workers and clothes makers and cobblers and leather workers, that kind of thing. And it was very much run by these trade guilds that they had. It was almost like multiple mobs working together in a city. And you sort of had to toe the line with these groups. Um, so they worked hard, but they also indulged in sinful acts and behavior. In fact, I'm going to give one more disclaimer to this one to just, if you have kids in here today, you might want to consider moving them out because, again, there are some adult themes in this one that Jesus is dealing with this church. This one's a little bit more intense. The imagery that Jesus uses to describe himself is a little bit more intense because while these guys worked hard, they also indulged a bit too much. And of the seven cities, this is the longest letter. It's the smallest, least known city, but it is the longest letter. It has the most correction of any of the seven letters. It definitely feels more intense to me. So I've been reading the whole letters first throughout the series, but I think you guys get the pacing of these by now, right? Jesus first describes himself. He tells them what they're doing right. He corrects, and then he counsels. And so for most of them anyway. And so I'm going to read this one piece by piece because it's the longest. And you're going to see what I mean. Are you ready? One more thing to mention about this city before we get into it. Pergamum boasted that they were carrying a sword and showing off strength, right? That was last week. So Jesus greeted them with, I am a double-edged sword. I carry all power and authority. The interesting thing about Thyatira, which you'll notice here in the very first line, is that they, Apollo was their main god. And if you know anything about Roman gods at all, Apollo was one almost every Roman worshipped. And he was known as the son of God because he was the son of Zeus. 
Okay, so archaeologists have actually discovered coins with like a picture of Apollo and an inscription that says son of God. And so Thyatira was like, this is our God. He, they would say, we are the city that has the son of God. And so I bet you can guess where I'm going with this, how Jesus described himself in this first letter, right? Or in the first piece of this letter. Revelation 2.18. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the son of God, whose eyes are like flame of flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. Listen, I don't think it's coincidence that he addresses himself here as the son of God, the son of God. It's not something he does in the other letters. He's saying, your city may think they have the son of God, but you actually do, church, right? I, I think he's reminding them here exactly who has the power. Because when you live in the culture, as so many of us do, right? In the culture, we are in the world, not of it, but we are in the world. When we are in the culture, it's very easy to forget who has the power. For example, I hear people from people all the time who drink a lot, heavily, say, who doesn't drink? Right? That's so weird. Are you like, pregnant or an alcoholic or some religious nut or something? Yes, but (laughs) no, I just choose to abstain is what I, in fact, I remember it was like 10 years ago. I was a, I was in a wedding party um, and I was actually pregnant with crew at the time, but you couldn't tell yet. And I remember going up to the bar area with the bride and a friend of hers and I ordered like a Shirley Temple or something, and the, the friend gave me this look. Judgment immediately. And the bride was like, Oh, she's pregnant. She's pregnant. Like she knew immediately. Right? And the friend was like, Oh, okay. She was about to judge me so hard, which I wouldn't have been drinking anyway. <laughs> but like, it's who could possibly conceive of someone that would choose to abstain from alcohol when you're in it? Right? It's hard to even fathom, or we get this in culture sometimes, not sometimes, all the time, it's like in every TV show, wait, who doesn't watch porn? Like, he must be lying, that's not a thing. Everybody watches it, right? Or or who's never been high? Like, even in college, come on. (laughs) You hear these lines in movies all the time, our culture wants us to believe that it is normal, that it's Okay, everybody does it, no problem. Right? I, in fact, I grew up with parents who both said, we've never been high, we've never been drunk, we waited until sex to have marriage, it can be done. And I believed them because it was true. <laughs> and I knew growing up it was possible, even with all of my friends telling me it wasn't. Even with every movie I ever watched telling me it wasn't. We, we actually tell our kids the same thing because it's true for both Aaron and I as well, and they need to hear that it can be done. <laughs> can be done, that it's possible, even though the world is screaming at them that it's not. By the way, if that's not your story, that's okay too. Be honest with them. Tell them the true things. If you did stuff you regret, tell them that and tell them why you regret it. We often hide the consequences from our kids and then wonder why they stumble right into them. Tell them. Tell them what the consequences are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so that hopefully they can learn from your mistakes, right? hiding that just to, and then telling them to avoid sin, it doesn't usually work. We're teaching uncommon sense here. Amen? 
The Bible is not common sense. It is uncommon sense. Kids need uncommon sense to make good choices. And not just good choices, but Jesus choices. They're even harder than just the good choices. Jesus choices. Anyway, I'm getting a little off here. But I think Jesus comes at these cultural things through these letters by explaining who he is on purpose. He's trying to jerk these guys back to reality. You think, your, your city thinks you have the Son of God. I am actually the Son of God. They may think they have the power, but you know the guy who actually has it. Don't forget that. Your city may think they have the Son of God, but you actually do. And not only is he the Son of God, but also, he describes himself here, his eyes are like flames of fire and his feet are like polished bronze. So reason for these things too. Fire is actually an important symbol in scripture. We frequently see representing purification and judgment. It's part of the reason why I say this letter feels so much more intense than the last couple. Uh, Because Jesus, the way that he's describing himself is intense. It's purification by fire. Judgment by fire. It's not a word he chose lightly, right? When God does something, he's doing something. It's bigger than just a, a word. And he also says his feet are like polished bronze, meaning he's already been refined. He is the refiner. He's refined, sanctified, polished. He's ready to roll. So get ready. There is a, a intensity and uh, urgency to this letter, the way he's describing himself. Like he's already been through it. He's not hesitating. This is the picture we're being drawn here. So remember, God is who we need him to be when we need him to be it. This church needs some refining fire. So this is the picture of Jesus we get in this letter. Verse 19. I know all the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. Your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance, and constant improvement. Those sound like really good things, doesn't it? And they are, actually. Isn't it nice to know God does see our constant improvement? That Jesus sees and appreciates when we're trying, trying to be better, work harder, really apply ourselves. Your, your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance. I mean, that's a lot. There, were, there was a lot they were doing well here. To be constantly improving on those things, I mean, that's great. But if you think your works will earn you a spot into heaven or into his kingdom, into a relationship with Jesus alone, you've got another thing coming. I, I tell my staff all the time, your skill, your works may get you a place here, but it's your character that will keep you here. It's one mess up. One moral compromise that all the difference, it, it can undo all of it. One affair, one theft, one weak moment can undo everything you have right now. I'm not just talking about ministry. It's marriage, it's jobs, it's, right? Under these things we choose, they undermine all of those things, your relationships, your friendships. That's how trust works. You build it over time and you undo it in a moment. And we're not talking about legalism here. This isn't a super strict, like, adherence to every single rule. We have to be worried about it all the time. We have to create extra rules around the rules. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about spending more time building your character 
strengthen your skill because God can use a person who is humble and willing to be refined and molded and corrected. In fact, the faster I'm willing to accept correction, I've seen this happen over and over in my own life. I, I resist for a while and God feels harsh and far away. And to some degree he is because I'm pushing him there by my rebelliousness, right? When I accept correction quickly, repent quickly, he's back so quickly. I mean, even more than before. It feels like I get to a new level of my relationship with him when I'm quick to repent. Because we all make mistakes. I'm not talking about just mistakes we, we make quick repentance from. The kind of mess-ups I'm talking about here are the ones who undo a ministry. And it's, it's the ones that he's talking about in this letter. I was originally calling this message the corrupted church because it wasn't just one mistake or two. This church was making a series of compromises here and there until they were fully into corruption. It was, it was a far gone problem by the time Jesus addresses them in this letter. It's the kind of mistakes that you make when you entertain a thought for way too long right? We all have thoughts that pop into our head. You can't control it all. But you can't control what you do with it after it pops into your head. Do you let it linger there for a while? Do you daydream about it for a while, right? Do you entertain that thought for a while? That's what we're talking about because it's what you do with those thoughts that makes all the difference. And I'm not going to go back through all that we talked about last week. That was an hour-long message. You can go watch it. Quick repentance always makes a way back for you is the point. What we're talking about here is the kind of compromises that lead to corruption. It's repeated, it's over and over, and it's by someone in power. This is the definition of corruption, dishonest or fraudulent conduct, typically by those in power, which we're going to see in the next verse. So let's keep reading in verse 20. But I have this complaint against you. So you're doing all of these things right, but I still have a complaint. I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman... It's permitting, it, this was an over and over thing. It's not a one-time thing. This is continual. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, there's the power, there's somebody in power, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent. So this wasn't the first time Jesus is addressing it. I gave her time to repent, but she does not turn away from her immorality. The problem with this church wasn't external persecution like Smyrna, but internal compromise like Pergamum. And this time it appears to come from leadership. A woman who calls herself a prophet, and the church was allowing this to happen. Look, Thyatira was the opposite of Ephesus. Ephesus was good at dealing with false prophets and false teachings, but not so good on the love. Thyatira had the love thing down, but they were tolerating false teaching. Look, the best theology isn't found in the extremes on one side or the other, but somewhere in the middle. It's not this or that, but this and that. We have to be good at loving people, but also harsh on false teaching, things that are going to lead us astray. It's got to be both. That's what Jesus is saying here. So in this church, the spirit of Jezebel corrupted and perverted 
some of their people, and they were allowing it to happen. It's something Jesus had already tried to call attention to in this church. He gave her time to repent. Remember from last week, God is slow to get angry, but he does get angry. There will come a time when the evil has to stop. He gave her time. He gives us grace. He gives us chances, which should make you a little nervous, because what if you're on your last chance? What if right now God is using this moment to call you to repentance once and for all, right? Uh, You know, last week we really focused in on the sexual immorality part of this. This week I spent a little bit more time researching the food offered to idols thing because that's big in the story of Jezebel. Because there are multiple places in the Bible that deal with food offered to idols. And it's not always a sinful thing. Paul in Corinthians, for example, is dealing with people eating food offered to idols, but it's more like a marketplace situation. They're going to the market, buying food, and saying, well, we're not participating in idol worship. We're just eating this food. Paul doesn't necessarily call that sin. Meat was not defiled because it was taken from a pagan sacrifice necessarily. In fact, 1 Timothy 6.17 says God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It's not like he was condemning meat in and of itself, right? That does help us to know when we're dealing with things in this life like a neighbor giving us a crystal, well-meaning, misguided, but not ultimately all that dangerous to us as long as we're not putting our faith in that, right? It's a pretty rock at the end of the day. Uh, We don't need to be scared of every little thing because we have Jesus who is bigger. We're not placing our hopes in crystals. Please hear me. Somebody's going to walk out saying, okay, my crystals are fine. I'm not, that's not, (laughs) we can talk about that later, but we don't have to walk in this fear, right? We don't have to be scared of every little thing, but this is a different situation from what Paul is dealing with from what, what, what he was dealing with in Corinth to what this letter is dealing with here. It seems that members of this church of Thyatira were partaking in pagan love feasts celebrated by gross immorality and feasting. I mean, these were wild parties, not simply believers buying meat in a marketplace, but they were actually attending idolatrous festivals and joining in in the sin of worshiping these other gods. It was drunkenness, it was sexual immorality, it was gluttony, and it was a celebration of all things selfishness. That's what these guys were doing in the name of another God. It was wild parties that defiled you from the inside out. The closest thing I can think of in our culture today is like routinely going to the bar and for the purpose of getting drunk and going home with somebody, you know, or or attending these wild parties with the same behavior, or even like having to have a drink always in your hand to feel like you can be nice to your family or something, right? It's this need to indulge in order to engage. There's something inherently so selfish about that, and that's what Jesus is calling out here. You're, You're actually worshiping other idols here. It's not just eating meat. The church was allowing a specific woman to teach that it was okay to go to these parties. Jesus wouldn't use the name of Jezebel, just like, remember, last week he used the name of Balaam. It was a specific example in the Old Testament. Jezebel is a specific example in the Old Testament. And you have probably heard this one. In fact, I doubt a Christian has ever named their daughter Jezebel because we know a little bit about her, right? But she was a real woman. It's a real story from the Old Testament. 
And it's a long one, so again, we don't have time to read through it. I do encourage you to go and find it this week and read through it. But Jezebel was a self-proclaimed prophetess who married King Ahab of Israel. She didn't actually speak from, for God. Her doctrine was corrupt, and it contradicted God's word pretty much every turn. And she was raised in a king's household who worshipped Baal. Now, Baal worship, if you don't know much about it, included ritual prostitution, illicit sexual activity, and even infant sacrifice. It was evil, evil, evil. And she influenced and seduced people of Israel through the king, through power, to stray from purity and righteousness on purpose. That was her goal. They were erecting Baal statues all over Israel because of her, which, don't look it up. I'm just telling you right now, they were phallic images, giant male anatomy images. And can you imagine taking your kid to school in the morning, passing by one of these things? It, she, it was all over, and, and she was taking over Israel with it. Now, before you judge them too harshly, we also have people in the church who, who promote similar themes, right, as if they're godly. It's, it's a problem. It's um, abortion, for example. Infant sacrifice in the name of me and my life and my future. We have people who promote sexual immorality, like sleeping around. It's, it's fine. Or, or even homosexuality, bisexuality, changing our genders to whatever we say that they are because we know better than the God who created us. People in the church that promote these things. I'm not saying we shouldn't have compassion and communicate them carefully, but, but these things aren't okay for Jesus followers. In fact, they're hurting you, not helping you. We say them in love. I'm not saying the church always condemns them well, because I don't think it does, but I expect the world to act like the world to some degree. I've let the Holy Spirit convict the world. It's his job. It's my job to love it and to be different from it, both set apart, but in love. We speak the truth in love. So if you're going to follow Jesus, he says to die to your self. Jesus followers don't get to tell God what is right and wrong. Jesus followers submit to the Father in all things. So within the church, we are going to call wrong wrong because God says so, simply because he says so. You don't need reasons for why it's wrong as a Jesus follower. You submit. <laughs> don't get me wrong. He gives them. He gives reasons. But we don't need them. We are submissive to the Father. We tell our, our whims and desires and emotions to come into alignment with him. These church leaders weren't doing this. They weren't calling wrong wrong. So this church was tolerating someone with that same spirit. <laughs> purposefully leading the church astray with idol worship and sexual immorality. Listen, again, we're not talking about legalism. We're not a legalistic church. We don't believe in, in man-made standards and rules and extra fences around the ones that God gives us. We're not breathing down your neck, making sure you stay in line. It's, it's, we're not interested in that. What we are interested in is pleasing the Lord in everything that we do. Making sure that our fear of God is greater than our fear of people. I will fear God and nothing less. Some will say, you know, Jesus hung out with sinners. 
tax collectors, the rebels of his day, and that's true. We should interact with people far from God. We should be in the world, not hiding from it, but of something different. Jesus didn't hang out with them to become more like them. He hung out with them to show them a better way, to show them what real and fulfilling life can actually be how to please the king and not make ourselves the king. We can tolerate messiness. That's, again, we can tolerate people who don't have it all together. We all have a little messiness left, right? We can be real with each other. We said we all have issues to work through. We're not requiring perfection here. We're here to help people find healing and hope and freedom, though. And what we won't tolerate is a seducing, manipulative spirit that wants to infiltrate and promote promiscuity and immorality and compromise biblical standards. There is a standard. You have to accept. That's a part of the gospel that we have to accept in order to understand it fully, that there is a standard, and we have all fallen short. But if you can't understand that you have sin, you can't accept the forgiveness of it. We have to understand that part. And part of the role of a shepherd is to fend off the wolves who want to deceive the sheep. Jezebel was a wolf in sheep's clothing. Jesus warned about such people in Matthew 7:15. He said, "Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing." I think I have a different. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. This uh, translation I have written down is ferocious wolves. Those aren't nice words describing, nice, easy describing words. Vicious and ferocious is the words. Now, the thing about wolves is they come in unsuspectingly, though. They don't just appear and say, here I am, a false prophet. Come on, guys. They're sneaky. Blend in with the rest of the flock, not drawing too much attention to themselves. And little by little, they schmooze and they cozy up and they compliment and they drop some tantalizing morsel deceive you into thinking they're one of the good guys when they are actually here to steal, kill, and destroy. You suss them out by using Matthew 18. Now, I don't think I teach this enough, generally, but I talk about it all the time to like staff and team leaders and people who are dealing with issues within the church. But there are these five, four, five amazing little verses in Matthew 18 that talk about exactly how we should be confronting each other when we feel like there's been sin against each other when there's an offense of some kind within the church. Did you know that? And it's so practical. Steps one, two, and three, literally. Go to them. Talk to them one-on-one. Try to win that person back. If you can't, take somebody with you, one or two other people. Go again and talk to them again. Try to win them back. If that still doesn't work, and by the way, whenever this is used correctly, it almost never gets to step three. It's amazing how it works, but step three is involve the church. We should be dealing with each other through things like this one-on-one. I, there's something in our culture. Why can't we be direct with each other? There's something in our culture that's like we, we have this tendency to talk about each other but not to each other. It doesn't help. That's why I, I think this is that final piece that God gave me during worship, and I, I called this the unaccountable church. They weren't holding each other accountable. All it really takes is one or two people to let a Jezebel spirit in, to let somebody in that's going to take 
steal and kill and destroy. If those first couple of people had said, hang on, that's not cool, right? Let's talk about this. It's not right. And then when that didn't work, take somebody back and then take the, right? They could have dealt with it and gotten it out of there in the beginning. They didn't do that. They weren't holding each other accountable. And it infiltrated. It went further and further and further. Don't let your Christian friends get it. Now, I'm not talking about shaking your finger and judging and being rude. We speak the truth in love. But we hold each other accountable. Okay, that's not cool. Right? We follow Jesus. He, that's not what he teaches. You know? Like, hold people accountable. Again, we should always be people we can go to and confess things. We should be a safe place for that. But we also hold each other accountable. Some versions here say, actually, expel the wicked person from among you. Again, this is not warm and fluffy language. Again, nobody ever accused Revelation of being warm and fluffy. Rain of bows and unicorns, right? This is not that. But we do have to look at it. We have to confront it like Jesus is doing here using Matthew 18. I have the verses actually written out in the sermon notes if you want to see them. It's, it's a, titled Correcting Another Believer in Most Bibles, and it's right smack in the middle of that chapter, Matthew 18. We have something, we have this thing that, that is against us being direct in our culture. And I'm preaching myself, my, to myself a little bit here too, because naturally I have an aversion to being direct. <laughs> confrontation of all kinds, really. But God has had to deal with me over the years. And there's a way to do it that is honest from you. Okay, uh, that is a, a not looking the other way, but it's not harsh judgment either. You have to find that sweet spot for you. But deal with it. I mean, we don't go tattling on them to for someone else to deal with it. You deal with it. The church, this letter actually isn't calling upon church leaders necessarily to do something, but the church in general we can all help with these things. We can all hold each other accountable. And I see posts all the time on Facebook, like in groups, anonymous posts, that are like, how do I deal with this, I don't know, controlling mother-in-law or like some crazy social situation they don't know how to deal with? The answer is talk to them. Be direct. Have a conversation. Tell them what's going on. Matthew 18 teaches us this. We need to do this within the church. There is something... I don't even know what it is, but the Holy Spirit won't let me off of this subject right now. We need to talk to each other, not about each other, to each other, holding each other accountable. If you see something not right in a person's life, in love, pull them aside and say, hey, what's going on? I'm worried about you. Let's talk about it. Yeah, one-on-one, -on -one. in love always, but tell them there's danger if you keep going. And I love you. I don't want that for you, right? I'm giving you words here. It's not just the shaking your finger. I'll love you the whole time, but don't expect me to pat you on the back about it. Let's hold each other up. Pull each other up. You say you're a follower of Jesus. Follow him. What you're doing is not. You're going in another direction here. Pastor Marv, some of you will remember Pastor Marv. He grew up, I grew up with him here as one of my pastors, but he used to actually turn people away. Like he'd have people ask him for a meeting and they'd come into his office and he would, if you know, they started talking about a person. He'd say, whoa, 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 whoa. Have you talked to them yet? No. Okay, we're not, we're done. Go talk to them. Don't come back until you have. 
He literally, and he'd teach Matthew 18, and he'd send them on their way. Right? Don't talk to me about it until you've talked to them about it, because it doesn't work. When you're trying to go around God out of fear, it doesn't work. So that's how we deal with these things. It's not all on the leader. It's on us as the church. We are the children of God. And as we grow, there will continue to be issues like this, probably much more of them. I'm only one person. With Aaron, we are two. But there's a max capacity of conversations we can have on a single Sunday. We can't catch all the issues. We can help each other, hold each other accountable. Again, not in a harsh, judgmental way. Please hear me. I can't say it enough. But in love, encourage each other to step it up. Encourage each other to keep doing good things. Encourage each other to submit to Jesus in all things. Amen? Maybe I can finally move on from that subject. Jezebel convinces you that moral behavior isn't a big deal. Indulging in activities God frowns upon, it's okay. He's a forgiving God. I'll just say a prayer for you tomorrow. You'll be fine. He allows for freedom, right? After all, she twisted and distorted God's grace. Right? Your behavior's not serious. Act how you want. Sin all you want because God's grace already has you covered. There's a danger there. You can see the danger there, can't you? It sounds good, and there's even some truth behind it. The best lies have truth mixed in there somewhere. God's grace is greater than our sin, but choosing to take advantage of his grace to please the flesh and to pull off self-control leads to destruction. In Ahab's day, the spiritual tension reached a point where the prophet Elijah said, it's time for a showdown. It's like one of the coolest stories in the Bible. Go back and read it. First Kings 18 this week, Elijah calls fire down from heaven, and this is, it's this big showdown. But he says, let's see who is the real God. And Elijah asked King Ahab in this story, he says, how long are you going to let Jezebel corrupt you? How long? How long are you going to waffle between the worship of God and Baal? How long? You know what to do here. How long are you going to let it happen? You need to take leadership in your home, in your life. Take leadership of yourself. My dad used to always say that everyone is a leader because you have to at least lead yourself. And I used to think that was a little reductive. Like, nah, are we though? But now I can see it's super hard to lead yourself. That's why we all, us millennials, talk about how hard adulting is. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard to discipline yourself, to make yourself obey yourself. It's a weird concept, but it's hard. If you don't, Jesus will have to is the problem. Jezebel is a fatal attraction. She seems attractive, but... It's a deadly attraction. How long are you going to waffle between God and culture? How long are you going to have one foot in and one foot out? Are we going to be full on for God or lukewarm? That's Jesus is calling them to be on fire for him. Do you get the imagery here? That on fire nature of Jesus is purification. It burns up the dross burns up the stuff that we don't need, and it brings everything productive to the surface. That's what Jesus is calling us here. He said, you cannot serve two masters. You can't be devoted to good and evil. You can't root for the 49ers and the Chiefs. 
Maybe you can. I don't know. I don't give two hoots about football. Go for it. <laughs> it's one or the other, though, is my point. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. Jesus is the Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. We don't want to play church. There's plenty of church players. It's not what we're doing. Good on Sunday and living like the world Monday through Saturday. That's this thing, that. I believe that's what Jesus was saying to Thyatira too. Take leadership back here. Stop allowing someone else to lead in the wrong direction. This is not a balancing game where I can do whatever I want to please my flesh and then do all these good things to make up for it because that's part of Jezebel's strategy. Persuade you that sin and immorality is fine because you still go to church on Sunday. Ask for forgiveness then. This is not that. Now, I... Just last night, again, I feel like the Holy Spirit keeps giving me pieces of this. But there's a level of leading, leading yourself to this that I think we have to hold ourselves accountable to. Right? We get corrupted because we don't remember or define who we are in Jesus. And we think we can negotiate with God on this point. Like He gets, we get to define who we are, not Him. Right? But he is the one who created us. He called and appointed us. He's appointed us for ministry to love each other well. He gives us identity and purpose. So a few years ago, I did this exercise with Bold and Brave. Uh, I think it was through a Craig Groeschel teaching. The Holy Spirit prompted me to have everyone write down who they are. I am statements. And I actually found mine upstairs in my office. I keep it in my desk because this became something that was so important to me. I actually put it on the screen. I don't know if you can read my handwriting, but it defined who I am. And I just want to read these to you. And they honestly make me emotional because when I wrote these, I didn't feel like they were me 100%. But I really sat down with the Holy Spirit and said, God, who do you want me to be before I write these? Who would you have me be? And I didn't feel like I could even live up to these. But it's been a few years now, probably four or five. And it's amazing to see how when I'm submitted to the Holy Spirit, I I follow his word. It's like we're like the, the Hillsong song says, we're evolving in pursuit of what he said. That's how it feels when I read this. I can look back and see the specific changes that God made in my life over the years to help me live up to this, which is just amazing. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, first and foremost. I live my life every day to please him. I love my husband and serve him selflessly. I teach my children to obey the Lord and to serve Jesus. I lead a vibrant, passionate, selfless church. That was the first time those words were written, by the way. That mantra, that identity of who we are came from this. It was not a thing before this. In fact, I read it on a Sunday morning, and afterward we were like, that's it, that's who we are. God's calling us to be that. I lead a vibrant, passionate, selfless church who wants to change the world with the message of the gospel. Can't you see that in us now, too? Four or five years later, it's amazing. I am self-disciplined, manage time well, and work hard. That was never the part that got me emotional. But I also have fun. 
laugh easily, and don't take myself too seriously. That one always chokes me up. I am a daughter of the king. I know who my provider is. I love to worship. I love to study. I love to preach the word. I am confident in who I am. That one gets me too. I am comfortable in the skin God gave me and love learning about the gifts he's entrusted to me. I can say this is way more true today than it was when I wrote it five years ago. And it's amazing how God does that. When we define who we are in Jesus Christ, when we know what he says about who we are, and then we commit to it, I've been holding myself accountable to this, consciously or subconsciously, for the past five years, and I'm growing into what he calls me. It's amazing how this happens. We have to hold ourselves accountable, church. That's what this, this is saying. They became the corrupted church because they were the unaccountable church. They didn't know who they were. They, they couldn't see that Jesus had called them to so much more. So they let other people define them. They let a Jezebel spirit come in and define them. If we don't allow ourselves to be defined by him, we'll allow ourselves to be defined by the world. And any old Balaam or Jezebel can come on in and corrupt us from the inside because we don't have our guard up against our own selfish nature. It's easier to have your guard up from someone who you perceive as the enemy, right? That's easy. It's harder to have your guard up against your own self. This is what this allows me to do. And I I would just encourage you, go home and write one. Who are you in Jesus Christ? Don't write it alone. Ask the Holy Spirit. Do it with your Bible open and your 40 IMs beside you. Go home and write your own. Who are you in Jesus Christ? Try it. Sit down with him. Pray through it. Write it out. Who are you? Not what you do. Who are you? If you don't, you'll let the world do it by default. If you don't, you'll let the world do it by default. Let's finish up this chapter, this passage. Revelation 22, 2, 22. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. Then all churches will know that I am the one who searches out thoughts and intentions of every person. I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. After this sort of harsh language, does that feel warm and fuzzy? So Jezebel may be the one pushing it, but you're allowing yourself to be deceived along with her by not leading yourself. Stop it. Repent and turn away. Don't allow yourself to be pulled into the nonsense. Verse 24 says, But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching. Deeper truths, they call them. Depths of Satan, actually. You can still see that in the witchcraft stuff going around today, can't you? They're pulling you into this tantalizing knowledge. God doesn't give us all the knowledge. In fact, there are some things we are not to know yet. Trust him with it. Witchcraft is really just going around God for information. There is information to be had from the spiritual world. There is 
truth there, but it's mixed with a whole lot of lie that is meant to deceive you, steal, kill, and destroy. Stop trying to manipulate your way into it and just trust God. I will ask nothing more of you. Sorry, let me, I interrupted myself. I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. Those who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my Father. And I will also give them the morning star. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Those of us not involved in this Jezebel kind of behavior need to hold tightly. Right? He, he, he gives action to both sides of this. This is not a passive thing. That means if you're doing what you should be doing, head down in your lane, focused on Jesus, hold tightly. Don't be passive about this. Go home and write your list. Hold yourself accountable. Submit yourself to your church to be held accountable. Hold tightly to what you have because he is coming back. He is coming back. And Jesus is saying, the rest of you, good job. You're not compromised, but you still have a job to do. Keep on keeping on. Don't look back. Keep moving forward. Hold tightly. It's just one more thing I love about Jesus. He's not putting more pressure on you than you can handle. Right? His yoke is easy. His bur burden is like, he just asks that you be obedient. Nothing more, nothing less. Keep being obedient. He describes himself at the end here like the morning star. Jesus himself. Meaning when the night is darkest and coldest, when things seem at their worst, Jesus himself bursts onto the scene like the morning star. That's the hope he has for us. Even when the world seems dark and cold, inhospitable and lonely, he is there giving us hope for the future. And those who remain pure get an even greater experience with Jesus. We will rule the nations with Jesus during the thousand-year reign, and that's just the appetizer, because after the millennial reign, we'll abide in the presence of Jesus himself for all eternity. This church was trading Jezebel's jewel today for Christ's crown forever. Jesus has so much more for us. If we can just see it, we can hold tightly. Now, all of that to say the time to repent is now, not later, because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. It's now. That's the overall message of the book of Revelation, really. Repent now before it's too late. God has a plan for the future. Trust him with it. You don't need to know every detail. Trust him with it. Come to Jesus who loves you so much and just wants the best for you. Amen. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. Thank you that we, we get passages like this that are useful. Teach us and correct us to guide us into all truth that we have both spirits from you, even in the same letter, a comforting, encouraging spirit, but also one that calls us to repentance, a fierce spirit.
spirit that, that cuts between bone and marrow, that sees our innermost desires and intentions. Jesus, that's who you are. You see us as the whole picture. And God, today we just ask that we would, as a church, be more accountable to your word, more accountable to each other, more accountable to ourselves. That we would hold ourselves accountable, that we would see your word as the standard to live up to, studying it, living in it, abiding in it, so that we can hold ourselves accountable, hold tightly to what is good. Speak to hearts and minds now, Holy Spirit. I just want to give you an opportunity today to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to call you. And maybe you have no idea what your I am statements would be yet. No idea what to call yourself in Jesus. Just allow him to speak to you. Ask him those questions. Don't let the world define you, culture define you, other people define you. Ask the Holy Spirit directly. We serve a speaking God. He wants to speak into your heart and soul. He wants to call you. Remember last week, he wants to give you a new name. You are a new creature in Christ. He has hope for you, like the morning star. And he calls you up and onward. He calls you into things that you don't feel yet. But he already knows about you. Jesus knows you and loves you right where you are, but he doesn't leave you there. He made a way to rescue us from our sin. His amazing grace reaches farther than your sin could ever go. He's so kind, gracious, and generous. Now you may have come here today with a misconception that God is mean and unjust. That he's wagging his finger at you, just waiting for you to mess up. But really, he is a loving father just waiting for you to come home calling you back home. Romans 10.9 says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so today we're going to pray that prayer together with heads bowed and eyes closed. It's so simple to ask Jesus for forgiveness. It's a very, very simple prayer. You just call on his name. Lord Jesus, I need a savior. I need rescue. Please forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross and for rising again. Thank you for providing that for me. Give me a new start. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Help me live for you. That's really all the prayer is. It's so simple. Thank you, Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes still closed today, is there anybody in this room that wants to pray that for the first time today, would you just slip your hand up right where you are? I want to give my life to Jesus. I am in to following him. Maybe it's the first time or the first time in a long time, but you want to pray that prayer today. Is there anybody like that here? Awesome. Keep that up just until an usher gives you a little card. If you're watching online, you can text the number on the screen or type I'm in in the comments. I'd love to help you through that decision as well. Anybody else here today? Secondly, 
some of us have been playing with fire. We've been allowing the seduction and the allure from the world, the maybe it was a person, a relationship, a lifestyle. We've allowed it to get us off track. There is so much danger when we try to integrate the world's standards of living with biblical ones. It doesn't work. They're incompatible. You've got to choose one or the other. His grace is amazing, but it's not meant to be abused. Don't fall for that fatal attraction, that lie of the enemy that you can have both, that you can live however you want, selfishness can take over, and you can also have Jesus. It's, it's one or the other. But there's always a way back. Jesus provides an easy way back. Now, the, the easiest part is the first step. <laughs> Much harder to continue. But he says, all you have to do is ask me for forgiveness and repent. Now, repentance, something we've talked about a lot through this series, but I don't know if I've actually fully explained. Repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry, but actually turning. You're walking in one direction and you actually turn, change, and walk the other direction. You can't have repentance and continue living however you want. That's not what it is. Repentance means you stop the behavior that you know doesn't line up with the word. Give it to God and you change. You step away from it. We are a vibrant, passionate, selfless church who wants to change the world with the message of the gospel. We have to let the message of the gospel change us first in order to take it to the world. We have to be convinced that it's his standards that are the right standards. That's my prayer for us today. Maybe you've been playing with fire a little too long and flirting with the idea of any kind of sin, any kind of selfishness that's infiltrated your life and you know you've been squirming a little bit this message. You know, God's calling you out of it. That's you today. Again, heads bowed and eyes still closed. But would you just raise your hand where you are so I know who I'm praying for this morning? I want to repent. I want to see a way back. I want Jesus to rescue me from my sin and selfishness. Submit wholeheartedly to him again. Father, thank you for every single hand raised today, every single heart that wants to move toward you, that needs the repentance, the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their lives, pulling them back to you, welcoming them home. Right? This, this is a, can feel like such a shameful moment to come to repentance, but it's actually so, so good because the message that God has for you in those moments isn't you're awful and you need discipline. It's I love you so much. I know exactly what you've done and I love you anyway. I loved you enough to send Jesus to die for you 2,000 years ago. Just call on his name again. Come home. Live right. That's it. Just be obedient. Father, we thank you for this message. Thank you for your love. You love us so much. God, hold us accountable. Help us to hold ourselves accountable to your word. 
us to live up to it every single day, to get up in the morning and say, God, what would you have for me today? Not just blessing our plans and doing my thing and telling you how I want to live, but God, let us truly have the attitude and prayer of Jesus that your will be done. Help me see and feel your will be done in my life, God. Let us not be the unaccountable church to the corrupted church. Let us be pure and holy in your sight, God. Help us live up to your standards of righteousness every single day and truly change the world with the message of the gospel because it's changed us so deeply and genuinely. Let us allow it deep down into our souls to dig up the roots of that immoral sinful behavior from the ground up jesus changes from the inside out we thank you and we praise you and thank you for your word in jesus name amen thank you so much for joining us today if you made a decision to follow jesus please let us know by going to fv.church slash i am in and remember to download our app for more content and helpful links